edition of America's Godly Heritage. We are yet again working on Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. We just had Christian make it through the valleys of humiliation and the valleys of the shadow of death. And he's made it past pits and snares and hobgoblins and the mouth of hell and giants, pope, and pagan. It was a pretty bad trip. But he's made it this far, and as he was finishing up going through the valley of the shadow of death, he heard a voice up ahead saying scripture verses, which really encouraged him. Now that he's made it out of the valleys, and he's on the top of a rise and can see down ahead, he sees the other journeyer as he's traveling along, and he yells, Hey, wait for me. He runs to catch up. This is our big slapstick moment in the book, because not only does Christian catch up, he's chugging along, he's chugging along, his armor's flapping around and clanking and crunching. He catches up, and he goes, Hi, as he goes along, ha 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 ha. The last shall be first, I'm now ahead of you and he promptly trips over himself and falls down. The other journeyman, who we find out is indeed faithful, comes and has to help him up. They introduce themselves to each other, and they decide to travel together. They spend much of chapter 10 talking about their journeys thus far. Christian asks Faithful how things were going in the City of Destruction. Faithful responds that, after Christian left, there's a whole lot of chat, or shall we say gossip, going on concerning him and concerning his desperate journey, as they called it. A lot of people were saying, oh no, Christian's right and the city's going to be destroyed, but not very many people took it all that seriously. So only a few people also set out on a journey of faith like Christian did. Christian then asked Faithful if he happened to have seen Pliable in the city. Faithful says, yes, he has, but everybody is mocking him and giving him a really hard time because he had turned back from his journey with Christian. Christian thinks that's a bit odd, but Faithful says, no, even the people in the City of Destruction recognize he was a turncoat. He gave up his faith too easily, and he should be despised for that. In fact, Faithful tried to go and talk with him, but he was so ashamed, he went like this and crossed the street when he saw Faithful approaching him. So Pliable knew he'd really messed up, but that didn't motivate him to then set out on the journey once again. Yet Faithful himself decided he was going to go on this journey, and he set out to find the Celestial City. We find out later when he meets Evangelist in chapter 11, that Evangelist is the one who set him on the journey, just like he had Christian way back in chapter 1. As he's talking with Christian now, Faithful mentions that he had a much easier time getting to the narrow gate. He didn't fall into the swamp of despondence. He didn't go astray to try to get rid of a burden like Christian did. He was able to get into the narrow gate and enter the narrow path. However, once he was on the other side of the narrow gate, he encountered a woman named Wanton. She tries to seduce Faithful, but Faithful is able to resist her temptations. He closes his eyes and refuses to look at her. 
This is one of the ways that you can avoid temptation is just not to look at it in the first place. Particularly, this is effective with any kind of a lust. You don't know you want something until you see it. And then when you see it, you want it. For example, most of you have been sitting there innocently minding your own business, listening to me blather on. But then you see this delectable, cakey donut slathered in a sweet glaze, and suddenly you want a donut. If you hadn't seen it, you wouldn't have wanted it. But now you want a donut. That's how advertisements work. Companies tempt you by showing you items and making them look wonderful. You then have to decide whether or not to give in to the temptation. So close your eyes, then you can help to avoid some forms of temptation. All right, so then after he is able to bypass wanton, he then at the Hill of Difficulty encounters a man who's very, very old. The old man's name is Adam I, and he represents our old sin nature. In Colossians, Paul tells us we need to get rid of our old sin nature, get rid of our old man, and to take on our new nature or our new man. If you know that about scripture, then you know this guy's trouble. Now another red flag comes in the fact that he says he's from the town of deceit. I'm from a town where the first thing that we try to do is to deceive you into something, to trick you about something. That's a red flag. Adam I tries to talk Faithful into coming with him back to his hometown and working for him until he, being Adam, dies. Adam tells Faithful that Faithful can marry any one of his three daughters. His daughters are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. <laughs> Again, hmm, this doesn't sound too good. It does appeal to the old sin nature, because basically any kind of pleasant thing that's going to gratify your physical nature is what Adam is offering to faithful. So the lusts of his body will be gratified. However, this is clearly sin. And eventually, Faithful cottons on to this because he sees written on Adam's forehead, put off the old man with his deeds. That is from Colossians 3. At this point, Faithful realizes if he goes with Adam, then he's going to become a slave. He will fall into slavery to his old nature, his sinful nature, and to the sins he's committing. So he basically runs away from Adam and he starts heading up the hill of difficulty. Adam says he's going to send somebody after Faithful and he's going to make Faithful pay. Sure enough, Faithful's climbing the hill. It's really difficult and he turns and looks. Oh my goodness, somebody's coming after him. And he's chugging on up that hill like it's nothing. The guy catches up with Faithful just about at the arbor where Christian previously in chapter 7 had fallen asleep and lost his scroll and had to go back and get it later. The guy comes up and just starts pounding, boom, 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 pounding on poor Faithful. Hits him so hard, knocks him unconscious. When Faithful comes to, the guy says Faithful's getting a pounding because secretly he wanted to go with Adam. And he starts pounding on him again. 
and knocks him unconscious again. <laughs> and when poor Faithful comes to a second time, he says, have mercy, stop, stop. And the guy says, I don't know how to show mercy. And he starts pounding on him again. This time, another man comes up and makes the bully stop. Faithful doesn't know his name, but he sees that on the palms of his hands, there are holes. And in his side, there's a big hole. He realizes that the guy who's just saved him is Jesus. Jesus is also known as the second Adam. He's also the one who gives us our new nature, who's not in slavery to sin. Our new man that we put on. Our new nature that we put on. Christian says, oh yeah, so the guy who was beating you up, that was Moses. Moses represents the law. The law is what comes after you and just pounds on you, usually internally, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, metaphorically, not physically, beats you up because it makes you feel so guilty because it tells you, here's all the list of sins and you're committing them. If you have any kind of a conscience at all, you start feeling guilty. You start feeling bad about things. You start really getting on yourself about how could I have done that? Why would I have done that? So this is representing the law, just pounding on you and showing you all the ways that you are feeling shame because you are not measuring up and you know you are stuck in this sinful nature. You are stuck constantly breaking the law. But Jesus set us free from that. So Faithful carries on. He's able to go right past the lions because it's daytime and the lions are having a little siesta. He still had to go through the lion test, but it wasn't nearly as intense because this time the lions are sleeping and he can kind of creep around the lions as they're sleeping. He decides he's just going to keep right on going. He doesn't need to stop at House Beautiful. Christian mentions, oh, it's a shame you didn't, because there's so much there that you could have seen and learned that are just amazing. Then Faithful mentions his experience going through the two valleys. He does not encounter Apollyon like Christian did. Instead, he first encounters a man called Discontent. And Discontent, sure enough, lives up to his name. He is discontented, and he is sowing discontent. He is trying to make Faithful discontented with his lot in life. Discontent wanted to take Faithful out of the valley because he says the valley of humiliation, or the valley of humility, is without honor. Well, yeah, humiliation without honor. Humility, you're humbling yourself. So you don't have honor in terms of, ooh, praise and adulation and awards. So yes, discontent doesn't like that. And he says that Faithful is being disobedient to his friend's pride, arrogance, self-conceit, and worldly glory. Those things are indeed attributes that your old sinful nature would really like to have around with them. Everything that you do as part of your sinful nature works toward making your pride happy, your arrogance happy, your self-conceit happy. It's aiming for glory. So discontent is trying to say that if you aren't aiming for these things and you're not trying to climb that ladder of uber fame and success and wealth and power, 
there's something wrong with you. So get out of this valley of humiliation and let's go find something better. Faithful responds that no, that's not what God would want. And the best way to get through this valley is to indeed be humble. Because Proverbs 15 says, humility comes before honor. Faithful says he would rather go through the valley of humiliation or humility. In this case, he's choosing to be humble rather than having to be humiliated. It says, if the wisest amongst us, which is Solomon, says that humility is the way to achieve that, which he says several times in Proverbs, then that's the way he's going to follow. He's able to bypass discontent, and then he meets another guy named Shame. The first thing he says about Shame is this guy must be misnamed because he's not full of shame. In fact, it's the other way around. He's trying to put shame and condemnation onto other people. His whole conversation with Faithful is to try to make him feel ashamed for who he is and what he's done and the choices he's made. He's constantly saying, what a shame this is. What a shame that you hang around people of low estate. What a shame that you actually sit there and listen to sermons that make you feel bad about yourself. What a shame that you have to ask forgiveness from your neighbor when you do something that hurts them. At first, Faithful is starting to feel ashamed. Because he's like, yeah, he's right. Why aren't I going after all of these things? Why am I letting myself feel ashamed when I listen to a sermon? But then he realizes, wait a minute. All of these things that he is saying, oh, isn't it a shame you do them? They're actually things that God wants me to be doing as a Christian. So they are the things I should be pursuing. Those things that are highly valued among men are detestable in God's sight. Luke sixteen fifteen. Faithful then goes on to say that God prefers a tender conscience and that they who make themselves fools for the kingdom of heaven are the wisest and that the poor man who loves Christ is richer than the greatest man in the world who hates God. So I said, shame, go away. It took a little bit, but shame finally did go away. Then Faithful mentions he actually had a pretty easy time going through the valley of death. He had sunlight the whole time he was going through it. It wasn't dark and terrifying to him like it was to Christian. He was able to see the pitfalls and the snares and nets like Christian was able to because he had sunlight for that section of the valley as well. So up to this point, you can see that although they took the same route, they both started in the city of destruction, they both got to the narrow gate, they both climbed the hill of difficulty, they both went through the valleys of humiliation and the valleys of the shadow of death, they had different experiences. They had very different experiences. That's how it is in our Christian journeys, too. We really should not be trying to compare ourselves with our fellow Christians because we are all on our own journey. We're all taking the same route because we're all aiming to grow godly fruit in our lives and we're aiming to eventually one day get to the celestial city. But we are having very different situations different experiences, different people that we encounter, different ways that we grow and learn. We're all different. Just keep that in mind. 
Don't compare yourself to somebody else and to their journey. All you need to be worrying about is your journey and how you are measuring up to what God is asking of you. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of America's Godly Heritage. I hope you have a great day. Bye. Help us spread our message. If you would like to learn more about America's Godly Heritage or to support us with your prayers or finances, you can find us on Patreon, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Deezer, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Alexa, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, Listen Notes, Podcast Index, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, Podvine, Player FM, YouTube, Vimeo, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Truth, and last but not least, Give, Send, Go. You can view the resources used to make this podcast on YouTube, Vimeo, and Patreon. Once again, we really appreciate your support. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye!